If you haven't opened your Bibles, find your way to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. One of uh, the, the famed Aesop's fables tells a story of a donkey. And as the donkey was wandering about where he lived, the donkey came upon the hide of a lion. Apparently some hunters had uh, been out hunting and left this hide out to, to tan, to dry, and the donkey had a brilliant idea. If I put this hide around myself, I might be able to become essentially king of the jungle. So he did, and he started walking around, and instantly all the animals, even all the humans, fled away from this donkey dressed up as an uh, a lion in a, a lion skin, not, not realizing it was just a donkey with a covering. And the donkey was so pleased at himself and overjoyed at this power that he had found that in his excitement, he let out a very large, loud bray. Instantly, all the other animals knew, recognized the sound, and realized this, this wasn't a lion as they had first thought. This was just a donkey. The moral of the story is this. Fine clothes may disguise, but silly words will disclose a fool. Words are important. I think we all understand the necessity of words, the necessity of choosing the right words at the right time. The wrong words in the wrong way or at the wrong time can wreak great havoc on our relationships and can have serious repercussions. But many times we might think about our words and what we're going to say and choose them carefully, but we fail to think about uh, how we're going to say them and using them in the right way. Before we choose our words, we need to think about what kind of words are we going to choose? Are we going to choose edifying, building up words, or destructive, tearing down words, happy words, sad words, helpful words, hurtful words. The type of words we prepare to say can make a huge impact on our relationships. As we come to our text today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul has a discussion about words. There are certain words that we ought to stay away from, and certain words, or a certain word, that we ought to give ourselves to. As we open this text this morning, Paul helps us to understand and unpack our words and understand which types of words are worth our time and which types of words are not. And so as we prepare to read this text from 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, I want to give you one big idea to take home with you this morning. In fact, if this is the only thing you remember from the sermon this morning, remember this. Words matter. Words matter. So let's read together as we unpack this text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. I'll be reading from my translation this morning. Paul writes, These things remind them, solemnly charging them in the presence of God not to fight about words in which is nothing beneficial and leads to the ruin of the one's hearing. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker having no need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid pointless chatter, 
for it will lead to much ungodliness, and their, their talk will spread as gangrene among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who deviated from the truth, saying the resurrection already has taken place, and they are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God has stood having this seal. The Lord knows the ones who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord shall abstain from wickedness. I've struggled a bit in, in how to present this text. Because as we think about the context, I think first and foremost, this pa passage was written to a pastor and maybe the most direct application is for pastors. And so if I had a room full of pastors this morning, I would probably present this text drastically differently from what I'm going to give it to you this morning because we don't have a room full of pastors. And so while keeping the context in mind that this was given to a pastor for how to interact in his ministry... We're going to walk through this text this morning and see how it might apply to our lives today. And I think there is application for us. And as we walk through this text, I find two cautions that Paul gives us when it comes to the use of our words, two negatives, two pitfalls to avoid relating to our speech. So let's find these as we work through this text together. Two cautions concerning our speech. Number one appears in verse 14. Paul simply says, don't debate with words. Caution number one, don't debate with words. You can read it in the text. Paul says, remind them, solemnly charging them in the presence of God not to fight about words. Now notice how he begins here uh, by talking about these things, remind them of these Things. It's as if he's calling our attention, emphasizing what he's about ready to say. These are some important truths. I'd also point out the command that's actually given to Timothy. It's in the imperative. There are three imperatives in this entire text, all given to Pastor Timothy. Keep that in your mind. And so Paul tell, tells Timothy, remind your church, don't fight about words. And we're going to share this reminder for us this morning as well. Let me point out a few uh, interesting facets of this text. Notice that word, uh, that phrase, remind them. Remind them is the idea of to put something in the forefront of someone's mind. And, and in fact, Paul uses this term elsewhere in his writings in the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, he's mindful, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, talking to Timothy, his son in the faith. In Titus 3, verse 1, Paul tells Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. This is the idea of just placing something in someone's memory so that they recall it regularly, easily. And notice who's supposed to be doing this reminding Again, it's Timothy, Pastor Timothy. He's to be reminding his people, don't fight with words. I think pastors today share this same responsibility as they shepherd the flock of God to remind them, caution them, consider your speech, your words matter. Of course, we understand why we need this caution because we so easily forget 
We so easily jump right in, feet first, use our words however we want, and maybe sometimes we have to look back and say, I I should have said that. I should have done that. Coming back to the text, notice Paul says to Timothy, he uses the phrase, solemnly charging them. This is a warning. It's actually one word in the Greek. It means to firmly assert something. The sense is to to bear a witness, to give a firsthand authentication. Timothy is to stand before his people as one who stands before God, giving him the charge. In the context here, thinking of, of pastors and pastoral ministry, this is a pastor's responsibility. First and foremost, to speak for God on the basis and from God's word, heralding his message This charge that Paul is about to give Timothy, this comes from God. It's a solemn responsibility for us who may not be pastors. I think that means that we need to take it seriously because it comes from God to us. Don't fight with words. There's weight here to what Paul tells Timothy. It's a serious charge and I think because it's given in the presence of God as Paul describes here, God knows if you've been given it, and God knows if you follow it. Don't fight about words. Going back to verse 14, Paul simply tells Timothy who to give this charge to. He says, remind them. And so we must ask the question, well, who, who is them? Who are them? Several thoughts have been given on who this is. Is it false teachers in the church? Is it the faithful men from 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and trust the faithful men who will teach others also? Is it the the whole church? Who is Paul telling Timothy to remind? I think strictly speaking, Paul was probably talking about the faithful men from 2 Timothy 2, 2, carrying on that context here. But I, I don't think it's just all or nothing, one or the other. I think there's probably some various levels of application here. I think this also implies the whole church. Within the church, there seems to be false teachers in the church here in, in Ephesus, and there are in churches today, so it can apply to false teachers. It can apply to anyone. So while maybe specifically there was a certain group of people that Paul had in mind, I think there's some broad application here. And so we come back to this charge. Do not fight about words. New American Standard translates this as to wrangle about words. It's a really interesting phrase. It's it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. So Paul's kind of laying a foundation here with this word, though he does use a form of it in 1 Timothy 6, 4. He talks about false teachers and he says they have morbid interests and controversial questions and disputes about words. Literally, the idea here is a word fighter. Someone who likes to fight over words, over meanings. They can play the semantic game with the best of them. Envision two people grappling, wrestling, wrangling, pushing, shoving over words. You ever know someone like that? Practically speaking, this is the type of person who has an unhealthy desire for quarrel. They have to win every argument. They're trying to be in every fight. There's this desire for controversy. They're not happy unless they're in a fight. 
And Paul tells Timothy, keep this in the front of the minds to those whom you minister, Timothy. Tell them, don't do this. I think this is for us, too, in 2022. Looking back at the text of Scripture through our contemporary lens, friends, remember, keep it in the front of your minds. Don't fight about words. Don't be the type of person who's always fighting, who always has an argument to win, who's always pushing an agenda and you stomp on those around just in order to win or make your point. Going back to the text of Scripture, Paul gives us two realities of those who fight about words in verse 14. Notice with me, fighting about words can produce unprofitable relationships. Paul tells us, he says, in which is nothing beneficial. It produces unprofitable relationships. There's there's nothing good that comes out of this mentality that wants to fight and be a word fighter. It's interesting, the word here for beneficial, it's also only used here in the New Testament. And Paul uses it, kind of a rare word. It means useful or advantageous or have a useful function. And in the context here, Paul pairs it with a negative to imply that these type of words have no useful function. There's nothing advantageous for fighting about words in this way. Here's what Paul's saying. You might think you can get ahead by arguing or disputing. You might think you can gain a a one-up on other people by fighting in order to win digging in and entrenching your position, your point of view. But some things really don't matter. Some things are not beneficial. That Some fights are just not worth it. I like how one man put it. There are some arguments you lose just by entering into them. Wrangling about words, as Paul describes here in our text, has, has nothing beneficial. It doesn't lead to spiritual growth and edification, and so we are not to engage in them. Paul tells us fighting with words produces unprofitable relationships. He also tells us that fighting with words produces damaged listeners. Not only do these words have no value, they actually have a negative effect, damage for those who might hear them. Now, in our world today, we might use the term collateral damage. You've, you've heard that before, I'm sure. Collateral damage, talking about the unintended damage or consequences of an action or certain actions. Uh, and you can think of many situations where you might have that. Um, consider a, a family whose the, the parents determined to end their marriage and divorce, and they think, well, it's just going to affect us. It affects the kid, it affects the grandkid, it affects the whole family unit. There's collateral damage. You can perhaps think of other illustrations. Well, what Paul's saying here is that when we use our words in a negative or harmful way, there's collateral damage. Look back at our verse in verse 14. Paul says, it leads to the ruin of the one's hearing. The Greek word here is the word katastrophe. Maybe you can hear the resemblance to our word catastrophe. When you use your words in the manner Paul's talking about here, you produce catastrophe in the spiritual lives 
of others. When you get involved in senseless arguments about words, you lead others to catastrophe in their spiritual lives. You overturn them, you capsize them, as it were, in the faith. I'm not sure exactly what Paul is intending to convey here. If, if the ruin that he's talking about is uh, the, the ones who are arguing or maybe even the ones who are hearing the arguing, I, I tend to think there's kind of a trickle-down effect. A lot of times we only think about my words, about me, and maybe me and you, but what about the other people who are hearing me? The other people who are observing, Paul says, you have a negative impact on the spiritual life of even those who observe you. If you're the type of person who wrestles, wrangles, fights about words. I don't know about you, but for me, this brings a whole new element to my conversations. To how I respond when I want to get a little fighty. I might want to argue a point. Now it's not just about me and winning and being on top. Now it's about others. There's a broad impact. There's collateral damage. We need to be careful that we don't produce catastrophe in the spiritual lives of others by how we use our words. Now Paul doesn't give us clear examples in the text of what he means Perhaps he is intentionally trying to be vague because there there are many ways that we can fight about words and and thus destroy people. I wonder, who might you have destroyed with your words? Churches, unfortunately, often are hotbeds for this type of talk. Nothing beneficial talk. Ruining people type of talk. Talk. Our words have power. We need to think about them before we use them. Let's think of some common areas where maybe this might come up in our lives. Could come up in church when there's a a change. Change that we don't like. A new program, new initiative, new building program. Don't destroy someone with your words by fighting for your way. How about politics? there fight about politics even in the church today? Absolutely. I'm not saying we can't have a view, and I'm not talking about the moral and immoral fights for politics, but sometimes you just don't need to destroy people just to prove a point. Think about what's happened recently in the past couple years. Our country and and the world with the COVID-19 pandemic There's been a lot of fighting in church over COVID-19. Masks, no masks. Vaccine, no vaccine. Meat, don't meat. All those things. I'm not saying we can't have a view and we can't stick to it and do what we believe, but don't destroy people on your way to do that. Maybe it's an area of theology and doctrine. We can fight over those things. Now, it's not wrong to have an opinion and it's not wrong to express one. And certainly, we do need to contend for the core doctrines of the faith. The Trinity, the deity of Christ, salvation by grace through faith, sola scriptura, all those things. But other things maybe are less important. Pastor, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Do you have an answer for us? Certain things are just not worth the debate. 
Paul reminds us here, don't debate about words. There are many ways that we can do this, but it's not helpful. I think this can even stem outside the church setting. What about in your family? Children, teens, boys and girls, do you fight about words in your home? Fighting with your parents over something? Mom, dad, husband, wife, what's your speech like in your home? Do you destroy each other with your words? How about at work? Those of you who are in the workforce, do you have to win the fight? Are you known as the person who wins every argument? College students, are you the person who takes debate class a little bit too far? Fighting over words can lead to unprofitable relationships and damaged listeners. Words do have power. Be careful. Words matter. Going back to our text this morning, I'm going to look at verses 16 through 18. Paul tells us our second criteria for uh, how our words should be, our second caution, don't fight about words. He also tells us don't destroy with words. Don't destroy with words. Now, I should know I'm doing something different here with the text. I'm jumping to the end because I believe Paul's main point is sandwiched in between these two cautions. And so we're going to put verse 15 aside for a moment, and don't worry, we'll come back to it. But look at how Paul continues in verse 16. He says, avoid pointless chatter. This again is a command to Timothy as a pastor. Timothy, pastor, when you're shepherding your people, don't get involved in the chatter going on. Still good advice for us, those of us who may not be pastors. Paul gives emphasis here. What type of chatter? Do we need to avoid? There's lots of chatter going on in the world. He says pointless chatter. Empty chatter. Idle, foolish talk. Talk that doesn't amount to anything. Paul uses the same Greek word here in 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 when he talks about old wives' tales. Things that are just kind of myth. They don't go anywhere. It could refer to any sort of worthless talk, whether it be gossip, backbiting, whispering, telling secrets, whatever. And sad to say, these types of things happen in the church. Oftentimes they're anonymous. Comes back to the pastor. Well, pastor, these people, there are people who think this, pastor. Not really a fan of that. I used to tell our people when I was pastoring, if you can't tell me a name to it, I can't deal with it. And so if I can't deal with it, I don't really want to know about it. Those types of things aren't helpful. And why is this such a big deal? What's such a big deal? Because God, through the Apostle Paul, says it is. And notice in our text how we're to deal with this type of chatter. Oh, sit sit there and listen. Oh, spread it around to the next person, but don't go too far. No, Paul says, avoid. Avoid. The word means literally to go around, to walk the long way around something. Because we're playing with fire when we play with words. I grew up in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And where I grew up, we were about an hour's drive from certain portions of the Appalachian Trail. So growing up, we would go out there and do little overnight hikes. And there was a trail shelter there. And sometimes we would stay in there. And if you know anything about the East Coast, and specifically Pennsylvania, you know there's rocks and there's mountains. 
and lots of woods, and with that comes lots of rattlesnakes. And so when you're out hiking the Appalachian Trail, you always have to keep a keen eye because you never know when you're stepping over a rock or a stone if there's going to be a rattlesnake underneath. Well, this one occasion, my dad and I were hiking the trail, and all of a sudden we heard the sound of a rattle. And so we're looking around, and we finally found this snake. It was right next to the trail. Only this snake was stretched out long ways in the process of eating a mouse. So it had its mouth like this and half a mouse hanging in and half a mouse hanging out. And so we knew it really couldn't hurt us. So we, we stayed there and we, we watched it a little bit. We thought, wow, that is you know, really cool to see. But let me tell you, when we kept on on the trail, we walked way around we got off the trail, we walked into the woods on the other side. We weren't getting near that snake because we understood the danger. This is the idea Paul has in mind when he talks about avoiding this type of empty chatter. You go out of your way to stay away from it. You take the long way around. When you see that person whispering in the corner of the church auditorium or wherever it happens to be, you, you go the other way. This is a serious thing. I wonder, how about you? Have you been going out of your way to avoid this type of mindless debate, empty chatter, words that don't build up or edify? These things can destroy a church. Paul gives two reasons why we need to avoid these types of words looking back at our text. He says, it will lead to much ungodliness. Destructive words produce unspiritual character. Destructive words produce unspiritual character. There's nothing worthwhile here. You're not going to become more godly by getting into this type of speech. It doesn't work that way. You can't expect to live in an ungodly manner, and all of a sudden, you're going to turn out godly. And so we, we would expect what Paul says here, if you're going to be like this, he said it's going to lead towards much ungodliness. Elsewhere in Scripture, we find this described as what we've called the laws of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Empty words, destructive words can produce unspiritual character. And you know what? Sometimes we think we can get away with it. We think that we can give in to this idle talk, a little bit of gossip. Well, I'll, ju I'll just share this as a prayer request. Here we're faced with the reality in what Paul says. You can't give in to ungodliness and walk away unscathed. You can't sin and expect it not to have a negative effect in your spiritual life. Reminds me of a story I heard of a prosecuting attorney in a small town jailhouse. And as he was interviewing an elderly woman who had been a, a teacher in the community for a long time, he asked her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she said, why, of course I know you, Mr. Williams. And quite honestly, I've been kind of disappointed. <laughs> You're not a very godly man. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people. Yes, I know you. Well, the, uh, the attorney was unsure what to do, so he looked over at... Uh, the other lawyer, uh, and said, do, do you know that guy, his, his opponent? Do you know him? 
He says, well, yes, I, I know him, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in him, too. He, he can't keep down a good job, and he, uh, he drinks too much, and he, he doesn't have a great, uh, great model in the community. And the, uh, the judge in the courtroom kind of banged his gavel and brought everyone back to order and, and brought the two attorneys up and said, if either of you ask if she knows me, I'm going to hold you in contempt of court. <laughs> Well, the point is this. Sometimes we act as if we can hide our ungodly lifestyle, and, and may, maybe no one will know, no one will see. We're just going to kind of cover it up. We can use ungodly speech, and it really won't go that far. It'll stick between me and the person I gossiped to. Scripture teaches that our mouths speak from what's inside. Sooner or later, your speech will reveal who you are. Destructive words produce unspiritual character. We come back to our text and we learn that destructive words produce widespread decay. They produce widespread decay. Look at what Paul says in the text. Their talk will spread as gangrene. If you give in to empty words, it will spread. The impact will spread. It will be a destructive, decaying spread like gangrene something that starts off small and and grows well what is gangrene we don't have much time to spend on it this morning but it's an infection that affects the blood supply to the limbs and causes them effectively to die oftentimes they have to be amputated i read certain types of gangrene can spread so fast that literally in a few minutes you can see the skin changing in coloration Really, this is the picture of death of bodily tissue, the loss of blood supply. And just like gangrene eats away at the body if you have that sort of infection, so these types of words eat away at the body of Christ. That's what words can do if you give in to this type of empty chatter in the church. Now, Paul specifically describes two individuals who have this, this gangrene in the church there in Ephesus, he mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus. We don't really know who these men are. A man named Hymenaeus is mentioned in 1 Timothy 1. We suspect he probably is the same man. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.20, he deviated from the truth. Actually, this is back in our text. He deviated from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place. The gangrene of these men was doctrinal deviation, heresy, They took away the hope of believers in the church by saying the resurrection had already taken place. The resurrection, a core part of Christian doctrine, was something that these guys messed up. They got it wrong. We don't know exactly what this meant for them. Some suggest that maybe they thought there wasn't going to be a bodily resurrection. It was some spiritual thing. But their empty, pointless talk led them to deviate doctrinally from the truth. Now, you might not make that connection first off, but I think it follows. If you follow Paul's argument here, if you give in to these types of words, it's going to produce unspiritual character. And here we see these men as an example of how far that can actually go. Notice what Paul describes when he talks about their impact in the church. He says, they are ruining the faith of some. Notice how I translated it there. They are ruining the faith of some. Present tense. 
I think this was actively going on. Even still, even though these men may have been put out of the church, they were still ruining the faith. The word for ruin here literally means to upset, to overturn, like a boat that's capsized on waves. So these men completely wrecked the faith of those who followed them. And we don't have many details on what that means. I'm not sure what this says about these individuals. We know you can't lose your salvation. Were they saved? Weren't they saved? I'd say probably they had maybe an external facade, the appearance of faith, but maybe they were never really believers to begin with because they followed false teachers and false teaching. They gave themselves to empty words and ungodliness, and they, they followed the havoc of these men, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Think about that for a moment. What an example to have, to be recorded in the pages of Scripture to have the Apostle Paul write your names down as people who shipwrecked the faith. Wow. All because of words. Words matter. Words matter. So we come back to our text this morning, and remember I told you we were skipping over a portion. We skipped over verse 15, so let's go back to verse 15 this morning. And here, sandwiched, in the middle, in between these two cautions that Paul gives. Don't fight with words. Don't destroy with words. Paul gives a positive and godly approach to words. Don't give yourself to those kinds of words. Instead, give yourself to the only word that matters. Timothy, as a pastor... And us as followers of God today, we need to heed the cautions about our words, avoid the pitfalls, and instead we need to give ourselves to the only word that matters, and that's the word of God. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy 2, familiar verses. Notice how Paul opens up here. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. The King James uses the word study, probably not the best translation here. The Greek word means to diligently give yourself to something, to be zealous, to work hard, even to be kind of eager and excited. It's the idea of someone who is uh, looking forward to giving themselves diligently to this word that Paul describes here. Again, we need to keep the context in mind. I think this Verse is often kind of extrapolated or ripped from the context. Even as a child, I grew up hearing this word and uh, this verse given to me as a child. Uh, and and well-meaning teachers who, who taught me that if I want to be approved unto God, I need to study God's word and, and learn it so I can deal with it rightly. And while I don't deny that God wants us to study and learn his word, scripture makes that abundantly clear in other passages. I think this is first and foremost for pastors. You want to know what to expect from your pastor? 2 Timothy 2.15. Someone who deals rightly in the word. Someone who avoids the negative uses of words and says, I'm not going to get involved in this empty, pointless stuff. I'm going to give myself to this word because this word matters. Obviously, this applies to more than just pastors. Notice the contrast here between the words we aren't supposed to use and the one that we are to 
give ourselves to. We're, we're to be eager, diligent to do this, excited. We can't stay away from it. There are many words someone can master. We've already saw the words that people choose to master. People like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul says we ought not to be experts in those things. If there's one word you should master, it is the word of God. And notice how Paul describes in verse 15 the one who masters this word. They are a workman, a laborer in the field who labors in the word. The one who does this is approved because there is no shame in giving yourself to this word. Right? There's no shame. You don't have to be ashamed if, if this is the word that you give yourself to. If you give yourself to the empty, idle talk that Paul says to avoid, you're going to stand before God ashamed. There's no shame in giving yourself to this word. And so the challenge remains, which types of words are you working in? Which types of words are you an expert in? Paul describes various words in our text. I like to think of it as a play on words with the concept of word. Don't give yourself into these words. Give yourself into this word. Are you doing that in your daily life, in your church life, in how you live? Do you give yourself into this one word, the only word that really matters? Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, he wrote this, if we settle for a poor quality intake of hearing, reading, and studying God's word, we severely restrict the main flow of God's sanctifying grace towards us. For those who use their Bibles little are really not much better than those who have no Bible at all. How about you? Where do you fit into all this in your spiritual life? Which word or words do you give yourself to? The empty words? The idle words? The destructive words? Or do you give yourself to the word that matters? Choose wisely, because words matter. As we finish our text, Paul comes to his conclusion in verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God has stood having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord shall abstain from wickedness. A solid foundation here that Paul talks about, most commentators believe is, is the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church will survive the attacks of words, particularly if it's built on this word. The solid foundation has stood. The church on God, of God built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word will withstand the attacks Paul says that there is a seal and an attestation and a confirmation. There's two parts. First of all, the Lord knows who are his. God knows how you use your words. God knows if you're a follower of him and you're going to invest in the right type of words. Second part here, Paul says, everyone who names the name of the Lord shall abstain from all wickedness. If you are God's, don't hurt with your words. You're a child of God. Don't hurt people with your words and do harm and cut and fight and win. Abstain from that. And so Paul concludes here reminding us that words have power. Certain words 
ought not to be fought over. Certain words destroy. Choose carefully the word or the words that you are going to use. I'd like to think for a moment, where does Jesus fit into all of this? This text. In our focus on words, let's remember that Jesus is the true word. John 1 verse 1 refers to Jesus as the word. He was with God and was God and the word Jesus Christ took on flesh so that he could reveal God to us and he could reveal God's character to us. And because the word Jesus Christ did all this, he is able to show us the right use of our words. We see that through his life, a motto, an example that Jesus was someone who was meek and tender and kind. He did not fight about words, though he did use words to defend truth and righteousness. He was not given to empty words, cutting words, destructive words. He used words in an uplifting way. And if we are to use words as God intends, let us look to the example of Jesus, who gives us our model use of words. As we look to Jesus, let us remember the gospel The fact that Jesus, the true word sent from God, died to rescue us from our own harmful, sinful words. The one whom Scripture describes as having no guile found in his mouth, he took all of our wicked words, all of our sins on himself so that he could cleanse us from those unrighteous words that we have already or might still be using And as you focus on changing your words this morning, don't forget that we can only do this through the power of Jesus Christ. We have no strength in ourselves, but Jesus, through Jesus, we can be more than conquerors, even in our words. Even in our words. What a wonderful thought. Well, here we have the clear teaching of God's word. This morning we saw the negative, what God does not want us to do. We saw the caution concerning how we use our words. But what can we do today as we leave this morning? When I preach, I like to give next steps. What are some next steps we can put into our lives based on this passage? I just have three simple ones for you this morning. First of all, take care of your pointless, empty, destructive chatter. Commit to cutting it off. Stop talking. Stop gossiping, stop fighting, stop leading people astray with your words. I would give you a very practical challenge this morning. Take 10 minutes, maybe on your drive home, maybe go for a walk in the woods this afternoon. Take 10 minutes today or tomorrow and search your heart and ask God, God, have I used my words in a destructive way? Second next step is to take care of problems or issues created by your words. If you've gossiped, take care of it. Go to that person and seek forgiveness. If you've been leading others astray by your ungodly words, take care of that with them. If you've listened to somebody spread the gangrene of their unspiritual talk, go to them, confront them, tell them you're no longer going to listen to that because that can destroy a church. Finally, commit to being diligent in the Word of God this week. If you don't have a plan, create a plan. Start a Bible reading schedule. Get a a Bible guide. Pick up a a book of 
uh, a book on the Bible, uh, whatever it might be, ask your pastor for help if you don't know where to turn. But commit yourself, if you're going to stay away from all these other types of words, commit yourself to studying the one word that matters. Just imagine what your church today would be like if, if we all lived this text. The relationship problems and differences that we have would be mitigated because we would not be talking and gossiping and fighting. And when we do, we would be quick to repair and restore those relationships. Issues would be taken care of as they should, in the light, not people hiding in darkness, whispering about. People would no longer be controlled by their own words, trying to fight, trying to win arguments. Because now they're governed by the word that matters. People would be putting time into that word and into their personal lives and into... Being, play, uh, being part of a local assembly like this one, coming to church, applying it to their lives. People would be participating in the other opportunities you have, the men's breakfast, uh, VBS, all these other things. This would trickle out into the area of evangelism and discipleship because now, instead of using these hurtful, harmful words to destroy people, we're using the word of God to encourage and edify and build up and tell people about Jesus. Just imagine... How Faith Bible Church could change White Bear Lake, the northeastern suburbs, and even beyond if, if we all committed to living a text like this. This is how churches go move in the right direction. We all together stop focusing on words that don't really matter. And we focus on the one that does. We gather around the sacred word of God together because this is the one word that matters to us and we allow this word to change us so we can be like christ there's only one word that matters let's make sure the one that matters to us is this one would you bow with me as we pray this morning father god we thank you for your word we're reminded though it wasn't part of our passage this morning we're just reminded that you have chosen in your sovereign grace to give us this word and there are many places in the world today that don't have the written words of scripture that they can hold in their hand and read there are many places in the world today that though they may have the bible they can't meet openly like we do and, and sing songs and encourage one another and listen and study Father, we're reminded that you have been gracious in that gift. Help us to use it wisely. Help us not to put our time, energy, and effort into empty words, but that we would give ourselves to your word because it is the word that matters. Help us, Father, as we leave today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.